السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته and welcome to episode 5 of كله التحف the guest with me today is somebody who has been in the public Libyan eye for a very long time uh, with his music and I've been a fan of his work for a very very long time so just give us who you are uh, and your work uh, just an introduction to your work Cool. Uh, Assalamu alaikum. Thanks for having me. My name is Malik Al Arabi. I am a hip hop recording artist. Um, been making music for a minute, which we can talk about later. Uh, but yeah, uh, I live in the States, the United States of America, with our new president, and I make bops. So, how did you get into music? Like, what did you, what clicked in your head? whether it be when you were younger or when you got older, like what made you decide on going into music? Sure. Yeah. The story I always give is like uh, in sixth grade, I started writing poetry. Um, I had one of my English teachers just had me inspired. So I got really into writing and then I did like some like classroom, like raps and stuff for like book <laughs> like whatever and then like I remember we had some had like one of those dances it was in October and it was called like Jumpin' Pumpkin this was in like eighth grade and I remember I went on like the loudspeaker and did an announcement but it was a rap and that was like the first time I think I actually like put together something like you know musically that wasn't just like spoken word and then that just turned into more of that in high school and you know by the time I got into college I didn't do it I did the whole like high school soundcloud rapper type of vibe um you know not afraid to to voice that so that was that and it wasn't until I would say like senior year of high school slash like uh you know early in college that I really started um you know taking it a lot more seriously so like by the time I got to college it was a lot more I'm in the I was in my dorm room and you know making I got like a mic like a used mic I had my MacBook and I just recorded everything through there and then I like recorded videos like through my MacBook I remember we would be recording stuff like in the dorms like music videos with the <laughs> camera from the laptop so like somebody would be walking around holding the laptop as the camera the quality um, must so be amazing it was horrific bro I'll send you some stuff after but uh yeah so you know so that was that and, you know I did a bunch of just like local shows and stuff like that too so it was cool to just build like a little bit of buzz while I was in school um and that was mostly when I was into at that time it was kind of like this frat rap generation yeah um and and you know back when like music blogs were like a lot bigger of a deal than they are like, right now um and so that was kind of the community that was who I was interested in and I did not dabble in like the Libyan audience at all at that point. Um, so fast forward, uh, I kind of just did some soul searching at the time and I was like, ah, I just have some like, I don't know, I'm not like fully comfortable with what I'm doing, where this is going, what direction this is like I'm taking here. And I just want to take some time off to like think through this and whatever. So I, I took off for a few years, like two or three years. I just went ghost. Yeah. Um, then in 20, 2016 was, the video that you're probably referencing of like me and my friends like singing and stuff that was kind of the first time I posted anything again was 2016 um yeah. and we were at like my friends we were at my friend's wedding uh, we were just sitting there 
And like, I just started beatboxing and inshallah he can sing. So we kind of just put that together and I posted it. And mind you, I hadn't posted anything music related like up until that point. Um, and then I, and we were wearing like, you know, like a Libsa Libya type of vibe yeah. like at the wedding. So I think that yeah. that's why I kind of went around with Libyans. Um, and then the next thing I know, like then I kind of just started on that path. So I worked on it for a couple of years. I dropped the debut and that whole time it was really like, not only was I building, you know, that foundation of like the Libyan audience, but I think I was also starting to discover a lot of parts about myself and, you know, my culture. And I went to Libya two times in that like two year period as well. Um, so I think that there was just a lot of that. And, and that was kind of how I got a little bit more uh, connected there. Um, then released the album in uh, the debut album that was 2019 in March. Um, and that one was the one where I think most people knew the true like connection to Libya because it was like right in front of your face on the cover with like the hat. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So that was kind of the, that was kind of that, that path. I don't even remember what your original question was or if I just started rambling (laughs) or if I I answered your question or not. But that was what I got. I think you said, how did I get into music? Yeah. Um, but yeah. Like I said, I started, I started like when I was in middle schoolish, and then just kind of kept doing it since. How did you bring up the idea to your parents? Like, were they happy with you going into music in general? Like, you always have like I've said this on other episodes before, and like I keep going back to it because I feel like this is a stigma that we we have. It's like um, the Libyan parents are always telling us like kun doctor, kun muhandis, kun minafshinhua, you know. Is that something you also dealt with or? Absolutely. Yeah. So my, uh, that was, that was a whole, a whole process. And the thing was like, it wasn't just music, like growing up, I would say I did a lot of things that like, I didn't think they were bad things, but like my parents, especially being Libyan, like we're not about it. So for example, I did like acting. Um, and I was like, you know, in shows and plays and stuff like in school, like growing up all the way through high school. And I would tell my parents, like, yeah, I want to go pursue acting. And they were just like, no, you know, <laughs> they were not about it. That was me. And then there was like music. I was like, okay, cool. So I'm not going to do the acting thing. Like, I'm going to make music, like, whatever. And it was the same thing. It was like, no. And they were very concerned about me. Like, they were very focused, which I give them credit for, and I understand as a parent on, you know, me going to uh, school, getting a degree, getting a job, all of that stuff. Um, yeah. So that whole process leading up to it was, like, it wasn't until, when I, I remember when I was, like, a freshman, um, there was just, like, a lot of opportunities, things were stacking up, and I was like, I can't do all the things I want to do right now because I need to finish school. Um, and I think that I I genuinely think that at that point, had they been supportive of what I wanted to do that, like by now I'd probably be just like on music. That's all I'd be doing, be like a bigger household name and all of that. Um, instead what happened was it was like, Nope, you gotta go and do it. And I remember like the conversations with them were just not the best. Cause I was like, this is kind of what I would feel like is my livelihood that I really want to pursue and do. Yeah. I was doing a degree in like finance I didn't even really care about and whatever. From home, I went and did like a couple of internships when I was in school. I ended up, you know, getting a full-time job out of school. And I think at that point they were like, okay, 
now we can like have this kind of now we can have this conversation but i'm like you don't understand that like we missed i missed that boat of like i'm trying to do this in my late teens like early 20s you know what i mean and that was like when i really wanted to be pushing and growing and and all of that um so i feel like a lot of that was was taken away as a result of it but like recently i had a conversation with at the table it was like myself my parents my wife and my mother-in-law this was when we were in, in philly um and we talked about it like very openly like where i was at with music and all that and they're like yeah no we're supportive now but we definitely always weren't and i would say that that's pretty consistent with how i interpreted it too so it was tough um they are on board right now and then if you you know i think when i did my my album release and everything um i posted like pictures with them and yeah. kind of that process as well and so i think it took them some time but to be honest like i think what really did it for them was not only did i kind of check their boxes of these are the things that we want uh but also like it was hilarious like my mom was telling me she's like you know a bunch of callers at the measure or whatever they're talking about they saw your video and they really liked it and i was like okay and she's like yeah it's good i was like why wasn't it good before they told you like you know what i mean <laughs> it, was, it was one of those things where she needed like I, that's the thing about like leave you man like, yeah, yeah. you do so many things for the perceptions of others which is crazy but it is what it is shouldn't go down like my dad yeah yeah and then like our my dad is a uh he's a dentist inshallah So he when he was doing that uh he had one of his patients the one time like he was like he was like hey is this guy related to you and cuz he knew like he was doctor in this case at Arabi yeah and he was like yeah it's my son he was like i heard him playing like at the YMCA or something and so i don't know who at the YMCA locally like had been put onto my music or something like that <laughs> but my dad always like references that story and so i think for them it was kind of like this we need a proof of concept And as soon as they saw like with the album that I ended up sending out as many copies as I did like all over the world and all of that and then just seeing like the numbers as far as social media the engagement the community and all of that I think that that was what it took for them was just like seeing it proved out um and so yeah that's the advice I would give to somebody is like you know it's the perseverance also just always assume good intent understand that like your parents are the way they are for a reason probably based on how they were brought up their um surroundings and it's probably not like that they're trying to if anything like my parents are trying to look out for me right like, yeah. i understand and i have that debate with myself and my wife all the time like if you know i had a son inshallah would they and they came to me with something that is out there how would i react and like right now i like to say yeah of course i would encourage them because i went through that and blah blah, blah. but then i'm like Yeah, but I also see like the world today and why that stuff matters. So, when I reflect on it, I understand my parents' intention and I think that it's important for everybody to do that. Um, but I do definitely think that it steered me off course a little bit like early on for sure and it took away some years that in hindsight I wish I could have gotten back. I feel like it's because our parents number one are immigrants to a country that more or less knew nothing about or the way of life. And so they came from Libya all the way here to make us or to give us a better life. You know what I mean? So if they see us like going in a way where they don't think we're going to be we're going to have a good life out of regardless of how it seems in the moment for us, 
they want us to like to go away from it. Like my grandson would be like, like if I went to them and said like, oh, I'm going to be, I'm going to be a painter. And be like, yeah, I know. Like, you know what I mean? It's always like, you know, it's always about the money and like, more or less perception does matter, but it's also like, how are you going to like achieve a good life out of this? You know, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with you. And I think like, especially for me, like being uh, in this case, like as a son and the expected, at least how my household was, was like husband, breadwinner, like all of that stuff. I think there's like that expectation of like, yeah, um, you need to figure this out. You are going to be responsible for all of these things. Like all of that was kind of placed in my head, which like totally fine with and, and get it and understand like where they're coming from. But I think that was part of it too, where they like, you were just saying that if you're going to do music and even if, even if music's like popping off and even if you're making like you know, a crap ton of money and you can take care of your family. Well, now it's like, do you want to be that person as a dad? Do you want to yeah. be that person who everybody's in their business? Like, and so it always went back to kind of like their core values and less about like, because I was like, I, I know what I signed up for. You know what I mean? Like I, I know the criticism that I've gotten over like 10 years or so of doing this. Like I understand what that comes with and you develop like a mental awareness and toughness and reaction to it. Um, so I think that that was also tough to shake is like the kind of the paradox between what they thought it was versus what I thought it was and like yeah. having to, you know, parents, because at the end of the day, our parents have a right over us and we need to also make sure they're respectful to, you know, what they need or what they, you know, ask of us. Right. Um, but on the flip side being like, but damn, like this could be so different, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. Did you, in the beginning of your music career, like, was it? Was it all by yourself, like in the studio, or did you have a studio to begin with, or did you just record like your beat? Yeah. So when I was in the dorm, honestly, I would just usually like buy beats from online. Like I didn't have like a formal producer. There's enough like just producers online who made stuff for you know an affordable rate. So I'd kind of just lock in stuff from there. Um, when I started, it was all me, and I was usually remixing like Billboard Hot 100 hits, and I was doing like a song a week that was just like a remix a cover kind of thing. Right. And like that was cool because like people would request like covers, and you know, taught me a lot about the process. I was using like GarageBand at the time on my Mac, and it was just me, <laughs> like with my mic, like a USB mic that I would connect, and like that was that was my entire process. Um, and I did that for years, and then like I think it was 2013 was the first time I actually went and um went and recorded and that was in what's it called that was in uh new york so that was the first time that i was in like a legitimate studio with a legitimate engineer um the guy who i was in there with you know the song um airplanes by it's like bob yeah i'm talking about yeah yeah uh so he was a guy who liked that song and so it was like just for context of like the type of people who i was with and that was like 2013 so that was super humbling i'm like how the hell did i get in the room with like this guy you know and, and the artist that they were putting out at the time uh basically like a like a platinum like engineer, award exactly. engineer. and I, yeah and like kind of law in hindsight like i pretty much like ruined that relationship just because 
I walked in there not knowing anything that I was doing. You know, like if I was going in there now, I feel like I could generally have probably a good relationship with that guy. And he's cool people. It's just like, he probably was like, dude, and nobody doesn't even know the process because I was like my first experience ever in a professional studio. <laughs> um, <laughs> fast forward, I, I played or actually built out my own studio and then I moved. So I left everything and kind of like liquidated all of it. And then I realized like in the process, like I built out an entire studio thousands of dollars of you know top of the line equipment but realized like I didn't actually have any of the skill set to use this stuff so I was like you know I'm not an engineer I'm not a producer like I am you know in this case like I write that's kind of my strong suit I have a voice somewhat so that's kind of my strong suit and like realized there was other things that I did like at the time I got really into photography I did that for about like three years and kind of ran a business yeah like was doing all of that and then like i realized like okay do some stuff with this for my brain like that's cool so it was really about like identifying the things that i could do that i was good at and um also like things that are other people are going to be better at than me and once that clicked for me things got better so like fast forward to when i came back and did the first album i did that all in la uh so we were in like north hollywood with matt um who he's done like all of my engineering for not right. only the first project but my current project that we're working on too inshallah and like he's you want to talk to somebody who's like connected like that dude's regularly in the booth with every single person in the industry he works at paramount and then also has like his own separate studio um and he's like good people so we just did a session we really hit it off and then that led to me you know making a bunch of trips down to la from seattle at the time and then there's Dylan, who I met in Seattle, who same kind of thing as far as like industry, the people who he's really like blown up with. He was doing all the filming on that side. Um, and so once I realized like, hey, I can, you know, get somebody like Dylan to make me a quality project rather than me trying to record it and edit it when I don't do, do everything that yourself. regularly. Yeah. Yeah. Or like Matt to engineer when it's like it's gonna sound a million times better if he does it. That's when I just started focusing on the music itself. Like get the song, get the beats, like get the song ready in your head, practice it a million and one times, know exactly what it's going to sound like before you get in. And then usually what happens, like I think prior to releasing that album, I probably had like a hundred songs. And I went with six because I was like, these are my six best ones as far as I'm concerned um, that I think are really going to, you know, make some noise and whatever. And that's kind of how it's been for Project Two is is being very intentional about just being the artist in this case and not the everything else that I could be. Like what I don't want to be that I commend people who do, but like, I don't want to be Russ, for example. Like Russ <laughs> went and the mixing, mastering, producing, engineering, like recording, obviously. Uh, I'm just like, no, nah, I'm good. Like I don't need to be Russ. Like Russ put out like 11 albums or something or nine albums in like five years or something ridiculous. And I was like, no, nah, I'm cool. Like, just find the right people and, and kind of let the work happen itself. Because uh, it always, yeah. even if you, like, even if you are good at, like, Russ is good at what he does. But I feel like it ruins, like, sometimes if you get other people in on projects, whatever the project may be, you get kind of the different perspectives. And, like, especially if you have, like, Matt and Dylan on there, they have different ears. And with, what they, with the experience that they have, they've seen different things. And they'll actually give you, a good opinion on what they think should fly and what shouldn't. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So where did you, where did you 
get the inspiration for your music in general? Like for your, well, let's say, let's talk about, I'm going to talk about the last album. Um, where did you okay. get the inspiration for most of your music on there? I know it's like your daily yeah, life, so, but like, where else do you grab inspiration from? Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's funny that you say that because I know it's your daily life. Cause I actually think that for a lot of other people, it's not, you know, like one of the things about my music that I'm very intentional about is like, like I'm not trying to paint a picture of something that I'm not like, I'm okay talking about the mundane things of the day. Like I'm gonna talk about that. I go to Chipotle every day, for example, and like just things of that, of that nature. Um, so I think that, that was, that was certainly important. Um, kind of talking about just like the cultural divide and, you know, and, and trying to find the balance between, Hey, I'm Libyan, but I'm also American, but how do I, and Muslim. And so how do I make, how do I work all of those things in there without being the person who is like a Muslim rapper or who right. is like a Libyan rapper? You know, for me, I talk about this. I've probably said this in like all of my interviews at this point. Like the most important thing to me is not being a Muslim rapper, but being a rapper who's Muslim. Um, you know, they're just two different things. Like no, Muhammad exactly. Ali, Allah Yarhamma was like not a Muslim boxer. He was a boxer who was exceptional. And then, you know, he's Muslim. As an example, he so, excelled. Like the you excel, we we we're pretty much saying is like you excel in your art, and then they identify you, uh, identify identify you as a Muslim or identify you identify you as Libyan. It's not like oh yeah, he's exactly. a Libyan rapper. Exactly, and like it means that you're not pigeonholed. It means that your topics that you're talking about like it's not like I'm just talking about Libyan politics, for example. Like it means that I can make a song like Always Sunny, right? But I can like reference things about like Libya or like my people or my culture and like everybody will rally around it. But it's not because you're like, it's extremely tailored towards like one, you know, demographic. Um, And it makes it so that everybody can, you know, enjoy it, hopefully, but um, that you're not like pigeonholed in that way. That's like, that was something really important for me as a theme. And also like the, everything as far as like Islam. Like, I don't have to put, for example, ayahs of the Quran, like, in my music, or, like, reference the whole, oh, four wives, or, oh, like, I, I think that there is, you know, a whole thing on that, that I, that's not, like, a thing I want to be a part of at all. But, you know, I can make references to, like, Fajr passively, like, in my lyrics, um, yeah. without, like, it having to be, like, a whole thing. So... That was, you know, I think that was another like core theme was trying to, you know, not back away from being, um, you know, Muslim, especially in that climate with Trump as our president, with, you know, a Muslim ban going on. That's what SATs was like all about, right, by the way. That was like the whole second verse was essentially calling like Trump and the entire administration out saying like, here's kind of what life is, has been like. Under, um, under. But trying to also do, yeah, but trying to also do it in the way. Yeah, but also trying to do it in a way, by the way, like I didn't mention Trump in that song once. Um, I just kind of referenced like a president, right? Like, and I also try to make things that are a little bit more timeless in that regard specifically. Um, but yeah, like that, I, that is another example of like some of my stuff tends to be a little bit more vague on, on purpose um, or like not, I feel like, you know, the amount of Trump songs that came out 
almost got to a point where it was like cliche to do. Yeah. And that's why like I was like, I don't need I don't need to light Trump up. Like everybody's already done that kind of thing. Mine was more of like a commentary in general on US politics at the time and being like a Muslim American and living through that. And your perspective um, pretty much. Exactly. Yeah. Um but yeah, so I, I think that that was kind of some of the core, you know themes and thoughts that came out of project number one and in general that was depicted very well in the cover art i would say yeah yeah which is definitely kind of talking about like this dual not dual personality but like you know dual identity. Like being a double it's like being a double chef though right so yeah yeah <laughs> I have this, and i have that side and like here's you know what that life looks like because a lot of my audience you know is libyan in libya you know what i mean so it's like they don't even really like their whole existence is all based on that. And then there's another group of people who are all Libyan Americans who have like never even been back to Libya. And so like that paradox for me of like, I'm somewhere in the middle in that like my parents were super Libyan. So I was raised very much like that. I did go back to Libya like multiple times growing up, like all of those things. I always felt like when I was in Libya that I was too American to be Libyan there. And then like sometimes when I'd be with the group here, then I felt like I was too Libyan for like my American friend. And, you know, so it was like finding that balance for me was I think uh, probably the biggest thing in, in that project too. That's, that's one of the things I feel like is common between all of us living abroad. Cause like I've, I've dealt with the same thing too. Like I go like here, I'm way too Libyan for my, friends of other ethnicities, even if they're Muslim, I'm still like, you could see the differences between me and my Pakistani friends uh, or my Indian friends or my Somali friends. Like, and then when I go back to Libya, I'm kind of too quote unquote westernized for Libyan in general. You know what I mean? Like, you know what I mean? So you kind of have, this yeah. identity crisis more or less like who are you and like where do you belong in a sense yeah. where like uh talk about like your creative process like how does how do you come up with the lyrics for example like where do you go you know what i'm gonna write about um me starting like one of your lyrics like you talk about like buying a camera and then like you, you as a photographer you also talk about um like I believe it was like you were talking about your eyes on one one. I forget the exact lyrics, yeah. but um, where do you yeah. come up with the with the with the lyrics for everything? Sure. Yeah. So I think like my process overall has changed um, quite a bit over time. Like I said, when I started, I was more about the words, the poetry. The I was very focused on just structurally how things were written um, and like the is it punchlines? Is it witty? Is it like that type of stuff? And it wasn't so much like, and I was always trying to like, I don't know, it's kind of like this thing that we have in, in hip hop and rap culture of just like kind of bragging about yourself, like, but uh, of like stupid stuff. So it was kind of like that, but trying to figure out a way to make it like cool and clever. Um, and when I was doing that, I had no concern for how the music sounded. I actually wrote them usually as poems first, like without a beat. And then what would happen is when I would try to find the beat and I would try to like hit it, like it just didn't flow well. Um, so over time, like when I did the, the most recent project, what I started to do instead was I just listened to beats um, with no, uh, no, nothing written. 
right? And I actually, like one of my homies, uh, Omar uh, Tabuni in Seattle, he's kind of the one who's in my Always Sunny video. And he's kind of, he's just been a good friend and one of the people who's always in um, all of my stuff. One of the things that we did when we were in Seattle is we would just go drive every single night, literally every single night. He'd hit me up, we'd go for a drive on the lake. Um, and just play beats. And when I say like, I've listened to thousands of beats, like I'm not exaggerating. Um, <laughs> and then like, you know, you just find when that hits and we, what we do is we listen and we'd freestyle. And then like, that's kind of how like songs came about. So like that one that I uh, released uh, towards the end of last year for Elizabeth Warren, right. that one was based off a of freestyle that I did in the car. And I have like the audio from the still, I'll send it to you. Like it's pretty, it's pretty funny to listen to because you're like, oh snap, like this is how it was actually created. Um, and so that's been my process now is I've, I've started to just listen more and, and try to be a lot more thoughtful about like the melodies, right? What the hook is going to sound like, not just what am I saying, but like, how am I going to say it? And then like, once I kind of got, I usually start with the hook because I'm like, if I can't get a fire hook, I don't want to write the rest. Unless if it's one of those songs where I'm like, I just want to bar out for like, 128 bars and then like forget like everything else um and so yeah that's been my process now and that's what i did for the last album and for this one is i'll listen to a bunch of beats some are going to be darker some are going to be happier i'll kind of have like central themes in my mind and then like it'll turn into that story of whatever it is do you think of something like do you go hey i'm gonna write about my life like sunny in seattle like my life like i i miss my parents like you miss your life in Philadelphia and pretty much like, do you go, Hey, I'm going to write about this or like on kaleidoscope. Um, do you like, do you go, Hey, you know what? I'm going to write about this right now. Or is it just like, you just basically listen to the beat and just freestyle and then. Yeah. So those out. are two, actually, those are two really good examples of songs that followed this process where for always sunny, I only had the hook for the longest time before the lyrics um same thing with kaleidoscope i remember i have all these things but i've like since archived them and stuff but like i remember when i did kaleidoscope like i was just like mm, take a look through my kaleidoscope take a look through my kaleidoscope and i didn't finish the. i just kept saying the phrase take a look through my kaleidoscope over and over and over and it had no meaning it meant nothing to me just for some reason like that <laughs> flow of words is what came to mind and like, you'll hear that in my music a lot. Like in Beard, it's like that sound that I use all the time, which is like, Awu. it's like that I did like Awu yeah. and started scatting like yabba dabba dabba Like that yeah. was just what sounded right in my head. And it had nothing to do with the rest. Um, and then like, once you have that foundation down, I'm like, okay, Always Sunny in Seattle, cool. It's gonna be a playoff, Always Sunny in Philadelphia, cool. It's gonna talk about like the, you know, my life in Philly versus my life in Seattle and talk about like currently there still is life in Philly, which is like my parents. So that's where like the, I miss my mama, yeah, I miss my daddy, like that whole like line yeah. comes from. And like, that's the, and so in that way, it's like, I didn't go into that song thinking that was what I was gonna write about. The hook came and I was like, okay, now that I've figured out this hook, what can I incorporate around it? Um, uh, that's gonna make it make sense. So, but yeah, like Always Sunny and Kaleidoscope are two perfect examples of I just listened to beats. I had no intention going in of what the song was going to be about. And then once I like just started humming and then figured out a basic hook, then I built like things around it. And that's the thing that I, that I like personally enjoy is that you're, you're not trying to be something you're not. 
Like you're not like, oh, I have money or I have guns or I have this or I have that. You know what I mean? It's always like, oh, what is Malik's life about? And what is going on in Malik's life? And it's like things that me, myself, or just people in general can more or less relate to. Like, obviously you can relate to other singers or artists or whatever it be, but this adds an element that it's a lot more relatable. Like me personally, the reason why Sunny in Seattle means a lot to me is obviously I don't live in Seattle, but um, my parents lived like away from me. You know what I mean? Like I lived like nine hours away from my parents. You know what I mean? So it's like, like I, I personally relate to it. Cause I was like, I was away from my parents. I lived alone uh, for four years. It's like, that song means a lot to me because like I like I've missed my parents so like the first year living alone was very difficult for me mentally because yeah. I lived very yeah. very far away from my parents so like um I wasn't always like I obviously visited a lot but even when I visit like I know that this visit is going to come to an end and I gotta go back you know what I mean yeah yeah so that's that's what I personally like see from your music that I that I really um like like where how long does it come like how long does it take you to come up with those lyrics like is it just like freestyle well, first of all, thanks for sharing. i was gonna say first thanks for sharing all that man that means a lot um on that point i think something else about mine is like when i think about like my music slash creative process what i used to do was i tried to think about what would other people like and then i i stopped doing that and I stopped thinking about the, like, what will this do after? Will people be able to relate? Like, all of that, I just threw out the window. And then I was like, I just want to make songs that maybe are going to get me through some moment in time, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, whatever. And then also, like, things that I think by the end of the whole entire process sound good enough that it's like, I want this to be, you know, on the, on the project or whatever. Right. So I'm happy... I'm happy when I hear people say things like that. That's like, you know, I, I really related to this or, you know, this really hit home for me because I think that that's, you know, awesome. But I think what's also important is like, you know, for me, I, I didn't do it because I thought, oh yeah, him, my man in Windsor, like he's gonna, he's gonna get this. And like all of my people like that, it was more of like a, I'm just going to do this because it makes a whole lot of sense to me. But then when I do find out that later, like me doing a personal project for myself ended up leading to somebody else getting something out of it benefiting in some way like wanting to share it with somebody else for that moment that to me does mean a lot so it, it is good when i do hear those things so i appreciate you um you know sharing that so like the lyrics in general for that did it take you or just for any of your songs in general does it take you a long time to come up with the lyrics like yeah like you said you come up with the hook first um does that whole process take a while is it like, oh, you write the hook and then after a couple of days, you're like, I can't write anything off of it. And then you go back to it or how does that go in general? Yeah, so usually like I work on like one song at a time. Um, I can do a whole song like in a day. I really am. It, but it's like, I don't, I don't hold myself to a deadline. Like Elizabeth Warren, for example, uh, or not, a, not Elizabeth Warren, uh, Valentine. I wrote at the time as like one verse and I never recorded a second one. Um, and just like one verse came to mind. Every time I try to write a second verse, it was just impossible because I was like, nope, 
it was just like a one hit wonder at the time you killed it like you're not going to match that type of thing because that was just very specific to that time and headspace you were in but then when we were in the booth like we were like well we want to make this into a song not just like a 16 so then like it forced me to write like a second verse and i did that like you know very quickly every rapper is going to have like an archive of lyrics from other stuff that they've just like written down so i just like really based it off of that and like a bunch of the new songs that i did were based off of like old lyrics from other songs that i just never released um so nobody's going to know the difference but like for me if i wrote lyrics that i thought maybe were good um and i tried recording them on a beat and it didn't really hit but i was like these lyrics like lyrically this was good it's just like you know, from a music perspective, it didn't sound that great, then I might go like repurpose them. And that was what I ended up doing for this trip a lot was like taking ones that I thought were good, repurposing them, and then like making what I thought were better songs at the end of the day. Um, yeah, but overall I could do a, I could write like a 16 in I mean, like a half hour, something like that if I really wanted to. But then I feel like you're kind of trying to force it. So I never really hold myself to like time. Just take all the time. Yeah, just take all the time I need till it gets done. Did you have you ever thought of like writing lyrics in Arabi? Like, has that ever worked out for you? Because I feel like you like our identities shape our work more or less, right? But have you like yeah. like you know what? I'm Libyan. I'm gonna do a song in Arabi for like you said. You have like fans back in Libya. You go yeah. hey, let me write them a song in Arabic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've, I've I've thought about that. I've been given that question a lot, and I've also gotten the question of what's it called like you know remix out of these songs or go sample you know libyan instruments or like whatever like have you thought about that too and i, I kind of put them all in the same bucket of things which is like you know for example i did catch up mayonnaise hoodie so yeah that <laughs> by far was like one of my most popular songs and it makes complete sense why you know it took a thing that everybody already knew add a little flavor to it and then like it just kind of went and like did its thing right. um like and and that was cool but i think the second that i say i'm going to do 10 more ketchup mayonnaise harissas or make an album that are going to be similar to that then it's like well you're starting to pigeonhole yourself into just like this is who you are or this is your music so i would say i try to you know when i see opportunities like that or the idea of incorporating ought to be I think the thing that I shy away from is like, although I would consider myself decently fluent in Arabi, it's definitely with an accent. And it's also like, if I'm doing it in Arabi so that the Libyan in Libya can get something out of it, but then it's just going to be like, here's a Semriki who doesn't even like speak our language like properly and stuff. I'm like, it kind of just misses the boat for me as well. Um, so those are like the things that go through my mind. I think that if I was in a different position where maybe I felt like my accent was crazy on point. Like you couldn't tell that I, I didn't live there. That I probably feel a bit, like if it was you, I would tell you to bar out. No. Uh, you, did you live there by the way? No, and I, I never, I was, I was born in Libya, but like my parents moved here when I was six months. But like, yeah. um, I have my, when well, we were growing up. You sound like, you sound like Libyan, Libyan. <laughs> You'd like, be you don't sound like oh I've been. You don't sound like I'm in Canada, but I have an accent. Like you sound like Libby Libby, at least in my ear. Because like here's the thing, my dad growing up when we were kids, he was like, "Into Moradi, but al-hosh, English." 
في الجا في المدرسه في مع اصحابكم ديما تتكلموا انجليزي وات ايفر بي يو نو هيز لايك الحوش عربي بس اند ذن سو ايفن وان ام اون لايك اي اولويز اي اولويز توك تو ماي كازنز باك هوم لايك ايفن ماي انكلز هير لايك ذا فاميلي ذات اي هاف ان نورث امريكا اي اولويز توك تو ذيم ان عربي سم ثينجز ذات اي دونت نو ان عربي اي لايك سي ان انجلش بت يوزلي يوزلي اتس ان عربي اند لايك when i was a kid pre 2011 i used to go back to libya every summer uh, every summer and one year i went like twice in a year like i went in the summer and then i went in december and then since then i haven't been back to libya but like most of my friends alhamdulillah like i've been blessed to wherever i've lived to have a large libyan community and a lot of libyan friends so i never had the issue where i go oh yeah who am i going to talk to in arabic I never lived in a community yeah. where it's like I'm the only one who's Libyan or I'm the only yeah. one who's talking Arabic you know like most yeah. of my yeah. friends growing up were Libyan like my dad always made it a goal of his to have like to have us have Libyan friends you know what I mean yeah cuz yeah. he's like you live abroad you're going to forget your culture you're going to forget it yeah. eventually you know what I mean like it's always been my dad's like my dad's number one fear and he's always said this to us he's like to me my siblings like he's like i don't want to have passed away i will ayad billah and then have you guys forget who you are or where you came from like it's my dad always like every little while introduces us to something that he remembers from libya or talks about libya and we like i always have talks with my dad about like like what i see in libya like i think because my dad always ingrained this idea of I'm going to go back to Libya soon I'm going to go back to Libya soon and like he's always sharing all these amazing stories of when he was a kid like the things that he did with my grandfather Allah rahman like like in the farm or like in his neighborhood or like school or like funny stories with his friends I think that those things like I don't relate to them obviously because I didn't have the same lifestyle like but I always like I was like you know what I want to go back to Libya and experience the same thing as my dad did. Like he always talks so highly of it, but when you go on vacation it's not like living there obviously. You know you're going to come back eventually, right? Yep. So like I hope with the the end goal like as like I've said like like the end goal with this is hopefully to go back to Libya and start different projects for the community there. Cuz I like my end goal always is inshallah one day I'm going to be in Libya. doing things that i love there you know what i mean so yeah. i think practicing arabic every day or even just talking arbi um lets you go back and go you know what had aish bara lakin gaad gaad libi like mu'taraf anna huwa libi wa anda thaqafa libiya you know for that's the yeah. that's the one thing that i'm very happy that my dad instilled in us You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I mean I think that also when you were talking about the summer trips that that for me is like the same usually for me is more like winter trips but that for me is what kind of solidified like Arabic in my case and specifically like Libyan dialect Arabic was like yeah it's different when you're here and you're kind of around all the time but like every time that I went there I would walk away not only with a new learning 
of Arabian and expanded vocabulary, but also just like more of a confidence. Like, yeah, like people, you know, fully understood me. I was able to get by. Like if I needed to live in Libya right now, I could figure it out. Like no problem. Yeah. Um, I didn't feel that way. Like prior to the last two times I went, but then as after I started going a couple more times very recently and then kind of brought that back and incorporated it where it's like, yeah, now, you know, I'm on the phone with my aunts and uncles and cousins like pretty regularly and keeping in touch with them and all of that. And then, you know, here, the conversations with my parents are in Arabi or with like my family here are in Arabi. Like, I think it, for some people, I think a lot of people, or I think there's a lot of people who probably know Arabi pretty well. Like, as far as you might hear people say, I understand it better than I speak it. And that's because they hear it all the time, but they barely do speak it. Yeah. But it's not because like there would be a disconnect. Like if you just went to Libya for like a month, you'd probably be speaking pretty close to like fluent if you feel like you have a hundred percent understanding and comprehension. That makes sense. Yeah, because like we have like I, I've I've experienced it a lot here, where we have like a very large Lebanese community, and like I've heard this a lot with with the ones that have like the Ammus that that their parents moved here. Um, they're like, yeah, like, I understand what you're saying in Arabic, but I can't reply to you in Arabic because I haven't been back to Lebanon in this many years. And I, like, I don't speak Arabic regularly. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's the, that's the thing, like, like I was saying, like my dad, when he first moved here, he saw that. And that's the thing that kind of worried him. He doesn't want us to forget who we are, forget our language, forget our culture. You know what I mean? Like, my, like, I see it with my, like, me up until my, like, it's me, my brother, then my sister, and then my other sister, we're all pretty good in Arabic, I feel. My two youngest brothers, I could see them struggle in Arabic. Like, they understand it, they can speak Arabic, but it's not, like, as good as me and my other siblings. Because, like, we always, like, between me and my siblings, we always talk in English. You know what I mean? Uh, I sort of see this dissonance of like they don't associate us with being Libyan. Like they they know we're Libyan, they know our culture, they know this, but they always talk in English. Like it's just like they have a di- like they. I feel like sooner or later when they get older, like right now, my little brother is nine or eight, and or nine, and then the other one is eleven or twelve. So right now. Like they're still young, but I feel like when they get to maybe like high school, they're going to start seeing this identity crisis of like, who are we at the end of the day? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think probably most people in North America, not even just North America, probably anybody living outside, but like English speaking countries, let's say, or where just how to be in general is not the majority language. So whether it's North America or even like, a bunch of the pockets in Europe. Um, I think that that's probably very commonplace as far as like experience that we've all had. So it makes sense. Do you think like, was it hard for you to incorporate your culture into your work? Like you, like we've talked about the album, like the album cover art, like where did you go? You know what? Like now it's time for me to, well, you, you said like like you went back to Libya and you started to associate more with culture, but did you go, you know what, like I want to be more in touch with Libyans, hence why I'm going to do the next album is me half wearing my Philadelphia Eagles jersey, 
half um but arabia yeah so kind of like going back to the writing songs things and doing it for myself or as a reflection of myself and not for anybody else like that cover was purely for like just me my current life circumstance the dual identity thing we mentioned like and all of that um it had nothing to do with oh i think that libyans are really going to like this like did i know at the end of the day that it would be cool for you know our community and that there are people who were tuned in of course but like for me i was trying to depict just for myself as like a personal reflection even if i never released any of that music or that album something that like for me gave me that closure and like you know kind of put a bow on where i was trying to to get um so yeah i didn't i i i when i was doing it it was more of just like for for myself the same way with my music but um i'm glad that people kind of reacted the way that they did i'm glad that um having decided to make that artistic decision ended up contributing because i think a lot of people just wanted my album like when i was sending them out for the cover art not even like for the song yeah and like especially <laughs> in a world now where like more people are worried about like people forgot about cover art i feel like and like to me that that's a very important part of the process um i think it's just as much part of like the entire artistic package so i i don't know like that was it was also nice to just have that win like not libyan wise but within hip hop of being able to like make cover art that mattered um and that got its own praise separate from the from the um the work and shouts to Jess on that by the way she she killed it she did an excellent job with that project was it was it your ideas or like was it your idea or was it hers like where did you get idea. the where did Everything. you think like where did you get the yeah. inspiration for that where did you go you know what i'm going to do half philly eagles jersey half bedlabia yeah. like where did where did that so the thing is like even even before that i was debating the whole just the it's sunny in seattle and me versus philadelphia so if you look at the cover it's me wearing the eagles jersey but in the back seattle's in the background like the, yeah Seattle skyline, you know what I mean? And then like but during that process it was also like okay, not only do I have this longing for being back in Philly with my family, but I also have this longing for, you know, for Libya and that experience and, you know, my family there and all of that. So I think it was it was trying to figure out how to incorporate all of that that feeling um into one cover that was cohesive enough that made sense. Um And yeah, that was kind of what happened. I was going to say like the that art cover is I really like it firstly cuz number one, double shafra. Number two, yeah. it's it's nice to look at. Like I like I'm a big fan of um cover art in general like um whether it be most of Kanye's projects like I'm very fond of but just like I want something like with cover arts in general, I want something that's pleasant to look at. but also reflects where the project is and what it's about you know what i mean and i think that's what you did and i and i think you did a good job of it personally yeah. i appreciate that yeah alhamdulillah and i i don't think i answered your other question that directly either by the way for <laughs> who made it all of that i uh like i came up with the entire concept and i had like a extremely bad sketch that i made i'll send that to you too it's funny um and but i knew like jess's work um we had gone to like 
school together and everything. So like I was familiar with the type of things she did and like what she would be capable of. So I kind of like worked, walked her through the, the sketch and everything. And I was like, so here's the thing. This is supposed to be me. It looks nothing like me, but I'm sure you can make it look like me. And then here's kind of the thing. She got like down to the details, like even just like the stitching on like the bedla, uh, Libya and everything. So like, you know, I it's talked really to her. Good. Like I had, yeah. yeah, I had the idea, but definitely the execution and bringing it to life came from her and her artistic expertise. Even the little details in the back, like uh, I don't think if you take a first look at it, you're going to be like, oh, that's Seattle in the back. You know what I mean? Like right. if you look at, if you take a good look at it, then you'll realize, oh, snap. Like that's actually Seattle. Like I think she did a, like a very good job of like the smallest minuscule details in general. How many albums did you end up sending out like to everyone? So I ordered 300 hard copies um, and that was it. Like I just didn't order any more than that. Um, so for like the 300, um, Alhamdulillah, those went like very quickly. And after that, and up until now, like I still have, you know, people ask me for it. And I, I always told people like when I ordered more, I'll send out more and I'll post it. But like there was something special about like that first batch where I didn't want to get too many. And I kind of wanted it to feel like it was something, um, you know, that not everybody was going to get their hands on kind of thing. Um, but also in the back of my head, I also had this thought of, I don't even know if I'll send out 300. Like, what if only 50 people want it? What if not even that many? Like, then I'm just stuck with a bunch of extra CDs for no reason. But alhamdulillah, the opposite happened. And like, I actually ordered, I just ordered a hundred of them recently because I'm putting together like some press packages and, and things like that. Um, but I'll probably, when I release the new album, inshallah, go and not, and also reorder the old one. And like, what, if I'm doing the same thing, in my head, what I'll do is the exact same thing I did from before, but instead of 300, maybe do like 500 or a thousand because I end up being like great marketing too. Like what's so great about that is most people go and post them, especially because you made it free. So it's like, you know, you went out of your way to try to engage with your following and provide them like a solid, you know, product or service. Um, and so I think that that ends up like going uh a long way and ends up being like a great part of the marketing effort. And so I'm probably going to try to replicate something like that, but maybe instead of just sending out like the one album, like sending both of them together. Um, and then it's like, if you already got your copy a year or two ago when the first one came out, then like you can give that one to a friend or whatever kind of thing. You know what I mean? I think also it's cause you made it like a lot more personal. Like, like I remember when I got yeah. my copy, you had a letter like thank you. Yeah the person for their, their support and like you know what i mean so yeah i think that's also why you got the the great recognition yeah, that, uh, yeah, yeah, that was, yeah that was yeah yeah i think that's true alhamdulillah i mean that was really important to me too is like my my thing is like i understand that i don't have a million followers and i have like a couple thousand but i would say like my couple thousand are more engaged than somebody who would have a million followers so like for me, I like that close-knit, uh, you know, niche community kind of vibe. Like I, I like that. Um, and sure, like I want to scale it out and grow it, but I also like that it has like that personal side of things where I can send a letter and it's not just to like a nobody, but it's somebody who I've actually connected with in some way, shape or form um, in life. So I agree, that was the letter thing. What I did this time too is I ordered postcards 
um, that have like me on the front of them. And I think what I'll do on the back is probably write like some sort of handwritten letter this time around each time. Um, the last time I did something like that though, I don't know if you were on, if we were like linked at that point on Twitter, but I did a thing like a few years back where I said, anybody who retweets this, I'm going to draw a picture of you based on no. like whatever your Twitter, like avatar <laughs> was. And like, was not they were like really bad, but I did, I think I did like 150 of them or something like that. And it was like miserable but like every time i posted one because they were funny like somebody else would retweet it and then somebody else would share it and da, da, da. so like things like that where you take the time to do like a personalized letter or draw a picture or like i had done like rap battles on twitter or like you know just things like that i know go a long way because myself as a recipient of other artists like when i receive their things and see the type of effort that they put in you know, that, like that's, to me, I'm also a consumer, right? I'm right. part of other artists' audience, audiences. So like, I understand what it's like to be on the receiving end. So I try to be like very thoughtful about that where I can. Did you get the feedback you wanted on on that album or, or just yeah. the cover art? Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I would say like, the thing was leading up to that. So I, the, the title was, <laughs> very direct eight years later my bad meaning like i've been doing music for eight years the entire time i didn't put out an album you know and i was always waiting for like i need to get the time right or i need to get music right or i need to get the studio time or i need to get the cover art and like that whole process like it really did take like a long time um but once i got to it like it was crazy is like when i kind of right before i posted it that was like the first time in my music life, I would say, that I had any type of closure, where I was like, wow, I've now done something that it's, and the closure is not for anybody else, it's closure for myself that I did it, you know, I made top of the line music videos, I worked with top of the people in the industry, top of the line artists, made quality work, songs that are good, like for me, I checked that mental box of, am I capable of like, doing all of the hard parts of being a musician, other than like the, the, let's say the marketing side of things and like getting bigger and bigger and bigger. But just like at its core, could an artist who has a million followers, like would this be online in line with their quality? And I, I would argue, yes. Um, so like for me, I had that moment of like, all right, I made it, you know, for myself. I hit all the goals that I wanted to do. So it was very, you know, fulfilling in that way. Um, and then as far as like the, the reaction to it, like it ended up, it ended up, you know, popping off more than I could have imagined as like a debut project um, to be able to send things out to like that many countries, um, obviously the States as well. And then like to have done, I think it was like 60 countries or something like that on Spotify, like just those like little things are like, wow, all of that happened like off of just this first project. Um, and so that was cool. And then that also made me, you know, got me very encouraged for the second one, but it like, when I'm coming into the second project now, it's not like your freshman project where it's like your baby and you're wanting to like do everything, this and that. It's more of like, yep, now it's kind of like rinse and repeat, improve at everything, but it's not like you're never going to get like your first one back. So that was like really important um, for me for that, for that, that debut one. And alhamdulillah, yeah, I definitely walked away from it feeling satisfied um, across the board. And like, say this all the time, if I just like quit 
music now. Like I could walk away from music now and be satisfied. I don't need to get a Grammy. I don't need to be on billboard. I don't need, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't need a million subs or anything like that. Like my personal closures there. So, and that's the, that's the best part is now it's a lot more like carefree where it's like, I'm not holding myself accountable to these certain things that I needed to do that I was, that I, I held myself accountable to for like eight years straight. Um, now it's like, yep, just kind of trust the process, continue to be good at what you do. And then just kind of try to work on more of the marketing, the scaling it out effort, and you know, reaching new audiences and everything. I think in those eight years that you didn't release anything, you kind of learned a lot of things and then you incorporated them into that album. And then now that you've learned those last couple of things, you now are going into the next project with the things that you've learned and you've basically like started to advance them and basically better yourself in the work that you do more or less. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's spot on. I think the other important thing to note is it's not that I didn't release, like I made, I had, you know, two, like I probably released over a hundred videos on YouTube that were like more of like those mixes and stuff. I did like, an EP with like a friend, but it wasn't like my, my debut EP and did not come with nearly the same rigor that this one did. So it's not like it wasn't, but I think like this one was the first time that I was like, this is all me. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. And that was like, that was, that was what this one represented for me, but I agree with you. It was a very big learning process to get there. And I feel like now, of course I'm still learning, but like a lot of the big hurdles of learning, I'm not needing to, learn for this project like i didn't need to go find a crazy good engineer alhamdulillah i already had one i didn't know need to go find a crazy good filmer alhamdulillah i already had one you know cover artist same thing like all of that stuff so like at this point it's it now comes back to me and just saying you know i found my sound i found my craft like that's all good now it's just a matter of like how big do i want this thing to get and and what things can i do to kind of make it bigger was it like when you went to go distribute the album to like Spotify and Apple Music and so on and so forth, was it hard for you to do? And did you do that yourself? Uh, I did distribute it myself. It's all super easy. Like technology makes the world a lot easier now. And at least, you know, music wise and posting wise, there's a ton of three third party distributors. You just go, you pay a fee and then they kind of do everything. Like with the same, it's, it's maybe like 5% harder than like SoundCloud. Um, it's just more of like having to pay for it. But once you've kind of done that, like we're past the days before where people were like tripping on getting on like Napster and LimeWire <laughs> and like iTunes was like the biggest thing. You know what I mean? Like it's just a yeah, different yeah. time now where it's all very automated. Um, so a lot of parts of just like business as an artist are very easy to get done. I was even just looking at like... Um, Spotify canvases, um, you know, like when you're on Spotify and you play a song, you'll see like a video playing behind yeah, it. Right. So like, yeah, I got sent like a link to do that for my stuff. So even that process, like if you would have tried to do that five years ago, how difficult that would have been, like you probably would have needed to be with a label and it probably would have been the label who needed to go and have that conversation and figure it out all for you. Like now all of those things are just like automated a ton. So it's really easy as long yeah. as you have the time to do some just like quick Googling and research. Like I, I'm convinced you can, you can, at least I have, you know, figure like, out anything. Like even with the, with the podcast, for example, like um, 
Anchor, who's like, which the, the software or not the software, the website that I'm using is owned by Spotify. So, and they also distribute to Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, right? So it's pretty easy to do. And even like uploading to SoundCloud is not rocket science. You know what I mean? Like it's literally like three buttons and you're good to go. Uh, Alhamdulillah, like a lot of the things now, that's a, uh, I've said before, like four or five years ago, platforms weren't as easy as they are now. Like now sure. with one touch of a button, you can reach 10 million people from like 190 countries. You know what I mean? Right. It's not like right. where it was four years ago, like Instagram. Instagram isn't the platform now that it was four years ago. Twitter, same thing. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Like everything has become more integrated and a lot more easier to share. Like right now I can go on Spotify or Apple Music, hit share and post it on my Instagram story and share right. Malik's music like with literally three buttons. You know what I mean? So it's kind of made it easier for you as an artist or just like easier for art in general to be shared and expressed. You know what I mean? Alhamdulillah. Yeah, for sure. You know? Yeah, alhamdulillah. So yeah. do you think with that, you would you sign with a label or would you not? Like if you had the opportunity, like if right now Birdman comes, knocks on your door or if like Jay-Z comes, knocks on your door, tells you, you know, sign a record, would you go, you know what, uh, now I can just do this independently? So I think that there's two ways of looking at it. One is like your creative freedom, which is what you were just alluding to, and how much of that do they take from you versus how much do you keep? And the second one is like financial compensation and what does that look like? I would say if somebody came to me for the first part and said, all of your creative freedom is still there, we're not putting any limitations on you, we're, if anything, just going to give you funding and backing to go and do things bigger and better. But at the end of the day, you own everything and there's no stipulations. That part for me is fine. And then the second part, but if they were like, if they were like, nah, you're going to need to do some image cleanup, for example, you're going to need to make these adjustments or go for this aesthetic. And I'm like, I'm not feeling that. Then like, no, probably wouldn't do it. And then if it's, the, but let's say that they are cool with that, or at least like, there's a fine balance there where it's like, I understand the business side of it. Maybe it aligns more with their entire label and their artists, whatever, but they still give me like the creative freedom. Fine. So let's assume that that's box number one, box number two, when it comes to the financials, that's where like, I don't trip at all. Um, if, if somebody came to me and was like, Hey, um, we're gonna, we're gonna, we know that you would be making like 10 million, you're going to make $10 million in revenue with us. And we're only going to give you 10% of that. And you're going to get a million. But if I was doing an indie, I wouldn't get a million. I'd get like thousands of dollars or something like that. Then I'm not going to trip that I'm only getting 10%. Even though the label is benefiting a bunch, I'd be like, all right, I'm getting a million dollars. Like from the net, that's straight. I think what a lot of other people, especially artists and especially independent and ego, like the ego gets to you where it's like, nah, like I'm never signing with the label because that's, the man, I'm not going to let the man take my check and all that. I'll be like, the man could take 90%. If I'm, like, if you're still, what is the, I forget what the phrase is, like getting uh, uh, getting a small chunk of a watermelon is more than getting a big chunk of a grape, I think is like the phrase. And so like for me, like if I'm going to be making more than I already was anyway, I can miss like that ego piece. And so if that was the case where not only did it, was it financially rewarding enough for me and where I felt like I had my creative freedom, then absolutely. Like I'm not one of those people who's like, 
indie till I die and like I hate labels and stuff. Like, no, but, I think. Uh, but yeah. here's the thing though, right? Like, yeah. like you don't care about the money, but what if you were scammed out of your money, more or less? Like, let's say they told you they were going to pay you, like in your contract, you get um, 30% or you know what? Let's say 10% of the revenues made on your next album. Okay. Yeah. But yeah. they only paid you 2%. Yeah. I mean, then like, I would just take them to court. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like but, I, if I'm, I mean, that's I'm the not, thing, but you're I'm in sorry, a contract, you know what I mean? Like they, they always like, they always like find a, find a way to, they're always like legal. No, I would say like, like I'm, so like when I'm not, when I'm not, uh, uh, doing music, my background and full-time job was in finance for four years. My degree was in four years or sorry, my degree was in finance and then switched over to just like analytics. So like, and as far as like my rigor when it comes to not only professionalism, but also like the, the details and like the read between the lines, like I'm very thorough, not only like myself, like I would have an entire legal counsel of people go through and assess it as well. Um, and be like, you know, people who I could trust who know more about that than me and be like, is this thing like, you know, bulletproof? And if it's not, maybe by the way, it's not because there's certainly always things that aren't bulletproof, but at least let me be aware of them so that if that does happen down the line, one, I, know what to do. I won't be surprised, but two, I know what to do. Exactly. Yeah. So I think that that's how I would, you know, if it was coming to me, like, I'm not just somebody who's going to be like, oh, all right, I get 30% sign me up right now. Like, I'd be like, no let's understand this like in and out, like at a very deeper level um, and all of that, like well in advance of actually signing anything. Cause then like, once you have all that, then it's like very easy to go to court and be like, Hey, just so you know, you signed this thing of here's our understanding and it's all on audio and stuff. And you said that if you violated this, then you're going to be getting sued and like, you know, that type of stuff. So I think it's very simple in that way. But honestly, I've had like, opportunities like that in the past especially when i was doing like when i was in college and talking to a bunch of like ars and things like that from you know labels who would be like send me your three to five best songs and all that because that was like the the driving factor at that point but now it's just like you know it's it's like one of those things where it's cool and if if a label came knocking or something or if i wanted to go on like a label tour where i set up for like a week and just pulled up on all of them and had like meetings like that could be cool, but I feel like I don't know. I feel like after this project, I'll have something a little bit more compelling based on like the marketing rollout strategy and how I'm, how I'm planning it, inshallah. Do you, like, have you seen your listeners increase in the past um, couple years, a couple months, or has it decreased or what trends have you seen with regards to your music so far? Yeah, so trends... I feel like I'm a weird case when it comes to music because of like my, how not frequently I release and then like kind of go ghost for a while and then come back. Like that's just kind of how I operate. So during dead times, like, no, it's, it's pretty dead. Like it's not, I mean, I'll get people who are still like listening and new listeners and people hit me up and whatever, but it's not the same thing as when I have like a release, everybody's sharing it, it's getting reposted. Like it's very obvious in the metrics. So Knowing that, my thing is I also never want to be like that spammy artist who like is just sending out a ton of 
just a ton of like crappy content. So that's why I try to be um, more in the long game of like, let me take the time to do it right. And even if that means I'm going ghost for a little bit, maybe lose some followers during this time, like at the end of the day, when it actually comes out, anybody who stuck with me is going to be super excited because it's going to be, if some, what I was trying to do is like associate when somebody sees me post, they mean that that's, it's going to be something good and worth reading about or listening to. Not like he drops a song every two days and like, I'm kind of over this. You know what I mean? So like that for me was like the, that's kind of how I've um, thought about it. And I think you like, like it's as someone who listens, it's sort of sad when someone doesn't release for a long time, but I do see your point as to like, it doesn't water down Malik or Malik's content or Malik's music. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's, I don't know. That's, that, that to me is like, that's just something that I try to always hold true to because I've had all the people on social media who I mute, for example, because they post like every five seconds. I'm like, I'm not interested in what you have to post anymore <laughs> because it's not, there's nothing innovative about it. You're just kind of doing like the same thing. And if, if it was like improving and stuff, that's cool. Like what I try to do every project, and I think why this one in particular did a lot better was because like when you compared it to what I had been releasing in years prior, it was like a dramatic improvement, right? It was very clear that, you know, things tightened up, that things got cleaned up and all of that. And that's what I'm hoping to do with this one as far as the release, like have it be super obvious that there has been updates since like the last one. And like, it's like, oh, okay, he really took the time off to go and make himself and this whole thing a lot better so that other people, when they actually get it, it's going to be a better experience overall. Trauma. Like what, are you, are you taking the same direction with regards to like the vibe of the album? Like, are you, sorry, what I mean to say is, do you, are you taking the same vibe of the last album and putting on the next one? Or is it just like a whole new Malik, a whole new experience of Malik, a whole new introduction to Malik? Yeah, I think there's a little bit of both. I would say like thematically, it's a lot less on the Libyan front, for example. It's a lot less about like that culture, finding myself, identity crisis. Like those themes are not as apparent in this. This one's more about like kind of here's just like my life now. And I think that that's what my music is always about is like just present moment what's going on. It's like me talking about, you know, getting married, relocating to Chicago, like what that all looks like, how, you know, life is, yada, yada, yada. Like all like the big like life moves that people otherwise, because what I'll say is like a little separate thing is like I'm very, most people don't know anything about my life other than my music. I don't yeah. post anything else that's going on. So much like, unless if, right. And so other people, like most people probably don't even know I moved to Chicago. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like most people probably don't know like that I don't live in Seattle, like all of that stuff. And so I like think that like, I think what that looks like now is because like this for me, as I'm talking about like the, the present me is also like an introduction to here's all the things that you missed in the last couple of years because like I wasn't posting it, right? So that's what I would say is gonna be like, this project is gonna be more of that. Um, as far as vibes, uh, at this point, I think it's gonna be a total of eight songs and it's gonna be bucketed into like four separate uh, like quadrants. One is gonna be like 
kind of just like barring out. So something similar to like the Elizabeth Warren or Valentine. One's going to be more of like that upbeat summer, like beach vibes. It'd probably be closer to like off the last album, something like an Always Sunny or like a Never Need To, like actually not even Never Need To, like an Always Sunny. Then there's like the chill vibes. There'll be two of those. And those are going to be more closer to like an uh, a Never Need To, just like that chill vibe. And then there's two that are like, really hard hitting, depressing, like hit on a lot of like taboo topics and all of that. And that are a little bit darker. I'd say I probably haven't tackled those as hard. Like I kind of got there with Kara Taconis about like my eyes, but not nearly to the degree of like where these ones go and how dark they get. So I think that that, um, I think that that'll probably, that's kind of like what you can expect as far as like vibes off of it, but they're very intentional. There's like two of each. and I told myself I released six on the last project, so I wanted to go up two to eight, and like eventually I want to work up to like an album in the future. Um, but I want to take it like slow and steady because what was great about the first project was people listen to every single song. You can go and like look at my numbers, and you can see that it's not just like one is like carrying the torch or something like that. Um, yeah. So because it's like, and I think the skits also helped. Um, so it made it like part of that whole experience where you wanted to hear it as a cohesive. It was short, like a 30 minute project. Um, so I think that like, I'll, I'll take some of that knowledge from that. And that's why I kept it a little bit shorter so that, you know, you can get through the whole thing and there's something on there for everybody. I feel like, like me, like personally speaking, I was a, like, I listened to a lot of artists. Like I think in the last year, something like that, I think I listened to 367 albums, 512 artists, something around that. Yeah. Um, so, like, at least for me, with regards to albums, I like when an album is a whole experience throughout. Like, yes, it's not the same song over and over again. It's not, like, um, different experiences. It's, like, oh, a common theme, more or less. But the experience throughout, it's like, oh, yeah, this is a project. And you could see the stages of an artist within an album. You know what I mean? Yep. And I think the last yep. one, uh, at least for me, uh, it was a good experience, like good listening experience because you did do that. Because you were like, yep. skit song, skit song, skit song. And it made it so like you included friends and family. Like it was a lot more personal. You know what I mean? And it, it, you in, like you included people in it. And it like it made it feel inclusive. And like, it's more like, it's not like, oh, Zahra is listening to it. It's more of like, it's like, hey, everyone's listening to it. We're all like friends. We're all family. You know what I mean? So that, that's what I really like. And I, I'm excited to hear this next one because I know for a fact you will do that. You know what I mean? Because like you've said now, like you've, you, you've learned things as an artist and you've progressed as an artist. So, you know, like, you know what? Like that last one did a good job of this. I'm going to do this even better. You know what I mean? So what did you learn in your experience as a, like an artist that you've incorporated into your everyday life or in your music career? Yeah, so I think like the, one of the bigger ones is probably just like the ability to market, like marketing as like a career and things like that. So my background's primarily been in like finance and business, but I'm usually in the room with people who 
for example, do marketing, sales, go-to-market strategy, all of that stuff. And so to be able to like talk the talk or walk the walk and talk the talk in those conversations and fully be there where they are and like, for example, talk about like social media strategy, like how should we pursue this? And I'm coming to them as like a finance person who's usually supposed to just be the numbers guy. And I'm like, no, like this worked for me and here's kind of the traffic I did and the engagement. And this is like how we should target this campaign and what we should do demographic wise and what time we should post it and blah, blah, blah. Like all of that type of stuff I didn't get from a textbook. Um, I just got from, you know, just learning on the fly and doing this. And that extends into things like, um, you know, advertising and, you know, doing things like ads on YouTube or figuring out your SEO on Google, like that type of stuff are all things that I just learned from this that not only do I incorporate for myself, but also like when I'm helping other friends or, you know, other groups, pages, we're trying to like figure all that stuff out. Um, you know, I'm able to help them in a way that's not, that has nothing to do with my music. It's, you know, to further their, their brand or their thing with some expertise. So I think that that's, that's probably, um, a big one. I think the other thing is like, I used to want to be big and famous, like so bad. Like when I first started, that was the goal. Like if I wasn't worldwide tour, then like I wasn't successful. Um, and like somewhere along the way, I started to realize like, no, like success is just kind of in the eyes of the beholder and all of that, of what that, that truly looks like. So once I was able to like take that step back and, and recraft in my mind, like, what am I really working towards or what's like my North star? What's my goal here? Um, you know, things got a lot better and that wasn't specific to like music. And then I incorporated that into like the rest of my life too. to ask myself, okay, you know, we have the time in this dunya, what are the things that I do want to accomplish or are important to me or how do I contribute and get back and like some of that stuff. Um, so I think like doing that, like helped me realize that like becoming like the number one recording artist in the world does not have to be the definition of did you make it or what is success? Um, and then kind of being able to be content with certain things and, and keep it moving is also important. Like, I think with living in the West, like even me as a kid, even till now, um, until recently, more or less, like I always have this dream of, I want to get big, I want to be famous. You know what I mean? Like, I want to do this, I want to do that. And like, now, now we have, we have social media to blame. But before that, we have all these people doing such amazing things because they're famous. You know what I mean? Like they have access to a lot of these things because of who they are. And so mm -hmm. like the goal with me at least isn't to be famous because I want to be famous. It's because I get access to a lot more things because I am famous. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Do you think that was yeah. the same thing with you or was it just, you wanted to be famous just to be famous? Yeah, no, I wanted it for all the wrong reasons. Um, and that was like a part of why I stopped doing music, for example. Um, and so like for me, I was not, I agree with you. And I think like what you just said has merit. If that's like why you went for it, that makes complete sense. For me, I just wanted it for all like the wrong reasons, like the accolade, the praise, the people knowing who I was, like the lavish life that comes with it, all of that. So it took like a lot of like just humbling myself a bit. Um, and also like something that I would take away from 
that reflection and apply as like another learning was I also just value my privacy. Like my social media persona right now of never posting about my life and what's going on there is not something that has always been consistent about me. But like now it is, right? But if you look at my social media and like then early on, like that time frame, like I was a very different person, not only on social, but like in life, right? And I, I realized for me the value of privacy, you know, making moves in silence, like all of that stuff. Um, and that, that's been great for me. Like, I don't really talk about any, really, I don't talk about like anything good <laughs> going on, like in my life, because Alhamdulillah, I'm very blessed and, you know, very just thankful for like everything that is. And there's, you know, maybe my, my small group of people who need to know about all those things that everybody else, like, I don't really care if they know or don't know. Or yeah, exactly. So I think it's like me also finding, you know, that core group of people who are important to me and, and being able to say, I, I would rather have, you know, five or 10 really good friends or family or whatever than like a million acquaintances in the form of like fans and stuff because everybody likes me um, became more important. So with that being said, what advice would you give to younger Malik? Yeah. Um, it's kind of tough. It's always a tough question. It's, yeah. tough, it's a tough question to answer because like I wouldn't tell myself don't do the things that I did because if I didn't do them, then how would I know what I know now? So that, like that one's tough. Um, Not what you wouldn't do, I'd but, probably, I'd, but like more or less like, like for example, um, what I would say to me, younger me, is hold on to your culture and your identity. You know what I mean? Like, I like when I was younger, I I didn't want to associate with being Libyan at all. Like I, that was something like I didn't I didn't want to like deal with, um, yeah. whether it be due to society's perception of Muslims or Arabs in general, or whether it be just me being, like me just hating on me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Self sabotage. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that makes sense. Maybe what I would tell myself is like not to be too hard on myself. Um, I think what I was getting at earlier was like kind of just being able to be content with, with where you're at and the whole thing with like eight years later and working on like eight years just like so hard to get to that point. And like holding myself accountable to something that's like, now I realize that it's okay, not even that if it failed, but like, it's okay that if it, it does take some time, like you, you can still work ruthlessly at something and so hard to get there without it needing to like mentally, because I used to have these conversations where I'd be like, I'm not, I'm not making it, for example, I'm not getting where I wanted to get to or, you know, reaching these things that I told myself I was going to aspire for and like whatever. And I was very hard on myself, like mentally, and that could lead to a lot of, you know, detrimental things, especially right. for your headspace. So I was just like, you know, maybe that's the advice I would give to myself is, is not to be too hard on yourself and, and you know, be mentally prepared for bad's going to come, good's going to come, like all of it at the end of the day is, is from a lost planet. So just take it all with a, you know, 
grain of salt, know that your God loves you and like kind of proceed. Probably some good advice if I was giving that to my younger self. And what so, advice would you give to somebody going into music today? Um, into music today? Like, what have you learned as an artist that you would, you know what, like, let me give that advice to somebody else. Because, you know what, like, I struggled with it personally. And I think, like, not with regards to identity, okay. more or less, but more of so the actual technical everyday like recording well even i think uh, yeah but i think maybe that identity part might be better first like what i would say on that something that was very hard for me was i would go into interviews like this and people would ask me for example who were my musical influences and when i would listen to some of my favorite artists answer that question it would go back to like old school boom bap hip-hop they'd be like i came up on you know uh, Nas on Biggie on Pac on all those people, and the reality is like I did not like my in my inspiration for hip hop came nothing from there, right? And like when I would kind of give my list of people who I thought were you know respectable and all of that, like it just it didn't hold the same weight as some of those, and then I tried to like force myself to really like learn more about that, which was a good exercise as like hip hop artists to understand the culture and kind of its inception. But also like I would be embarrassed to answer for me like what was my story and like how did I get into it, um, and the fact that it wasn't what everybody else is saying. So I think like for somebody who's coming into music right now, that's the first thing is like know your intentions and also know that like just answer your questions like honestly don't try to make yourself into something that you're not and then like musically speaking like music now versus 10 years ago is very different like the yeah. power of social media for example there's so many like social media and this isn't only music this is everything like people who are famous on social media who are not actually famous in real life like there's nothing famous about them there's no great characters as to why you deserve to be famous or whatever. Like before, if you were in music and an artist, you made it because like your stuff was good, right? Like, and it was objectively good, like could not be argued, like all of that type of stuff. Now it's like as long as you got to get some sort of funding or a good like marketing campaign, like that's what it takes to get a viral off like TikToks, like all of that type of stuff. Yeah. So I would say like there is that's like something I struggle with now is like. And I've seen even like my predecessors in, in music as well, from like who kind of were speaking way back when, who didn't really understand social media, and they were like trying to make mixtapes and like pass them out on street corner. Like, that's not how it works anymore. Like, it's just not. And so, uh, the advice I would give to somebody is don't be afraid to also like understand what's going on at the time. And I'm not saying like just get in the trends and like sell out. But I am saying, like, just educate yourself on what's out there and what really, you know, currently works, especially from, like, a marketing capability. Unfortunately, people care a lot more about marketing and presentation now than they do about, like, leaders and, and the meeting and all of that. Um, so I would say if you can find that balance between maintaining all of those things, like, that's what it's really about. But also, if you're coming into this and you're like, I want to be, like, the next big thing, and be aware of like what it's going to take to be the next big thing, especially in like the 2020s. Well, thank you, thank you very much, Malik, uh, for being here. I really appreciate your time, honestly.
Inshallah, I mean, like, inshallah, the album comes out, like, when, whenever it does. Um, uh, like, I'm, I'm very, very excited for it. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll let you know right now that I'm going to, I mean, just don't send it to anybody and don't leak it. Because I know you, every, every, if you leak it, bro, everybody, everybody, everybody has it, everybody has it. it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> exactly, bro. But, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll share a folder with you so you take a look. Inshallah. So, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh And this has been episode 5 of Kurna Tuhaf Isn't it funny that I do not need to Yeah I just make They can smoke weed too Blah we do people